Hi, this is Stephen Ambrose, Senior Pastor at Wapak Naz. I want to welcome you to the Wapak Naz podcast. We hope and pray that this message goes deep into your DNA, is encouraging, relevant to your life, a means for you to engage with God and experience His love, and moves you to impact your world. We at Wapak Naz believe firmly that you matter to God. We are glad that you are taking the risk to engage with Him today. Wapak Naz is love people, loving people to Jesus, and it takes people to partner with us to be on mission and bring this message to our community, the region, and the world. If you would like to financially partner with Wapak Naz to love people to Jesus, join us by going to our website at wapaknaz.org and becoming a financial partner. We thank you, we pray for you, we love you, and enjoy the message. Well, again, good morning. I'd ask that you open your scriptures, your Bible, you pull out your phone, and search for the book of Luke, uh, chapter 2. And then, uh, if, you're, if you're using the paper Bible, uh, uh, the ancient thing that actually is a book, um, you can put your finger there and also have your finger on Matthew chapter 5. We're going to start Luke chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, 1, 2, and 3, and then we're going to jump. In those days... Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was the governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. We're going to jump down to verse 6 and 7. While they were there, that would be Joseph and Mary. While they were there, there would be Bethlehem. The time came for the baby to be born. And she, Mary, gave birth to her firstborn, a son, that would be Jesus Christ of Nazareth. She wrapped him in cloths, placed him in a manger, because there was no room in the inn. If you jump over or jump back, go go backward to the left, to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to jump right into verse 38. You have heard that it was said... Eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. But I tell you, this is Jesus speaking, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him, the other also. If someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you, And do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I, Jesus, tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Father, as we we jump into the text, as we jump into the scripture, I ask that it unpacks us. That the truth it bears, that it shows, pierces deep into our soul and to our heart and our mind. And that it reveals to us who you are and who we are. That it moves us into action to live the truth out in our life. That we are powered by your spirit. So Lord Father, we open our hearts and our minds. We want to engage with you. We want to hear from you. We ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Well, good morning. As a as a scrawny kid, yes, would you believe it, I was a scrawny kid? I was. I had a misunderstanding and a misperception of power. 
In our series, we're talking about Jesus as the hero of humanity. And last week, man, Matthew brought a wonderful sermon, delivered a wonderful sermon about selflessness and self-sacrifice. And we've talked about these qualities of a hero. And uh, sitting in my office, if I just lean over and I look into Matthew's office, he has this, this poster on the back of his wall. And his poster is, I'm not even sure if it's DC or Marvel. He's probably going to shake his head at me and curse me because I don't know who they are. But all of these characters, all these comic characters, comic book characters, they actually just show this physical prowess, this, this strength that they have. Who are they, Matthew? DC. DC. All right. The good ones, apparently. See, that was my misunderstanding of power. Because as a kid, I got my picture of power from cartoons. Yes, cartoons. I was an 80s kid, and I was an 80s junkie. I watched Transformers and Voltron, Thundercat. That was such a cool cartoon. And He-Man, the Masters of the Universe, where Prince Adam was this peaceful wonderful guy who had this wonderful cat but when Skeletor would present himself and there was need He-Man would pull out his sword and by the power of Grayskull I have the power and he just turned into this muscular dude right however I actually wanted to emulate none other than well Popeye the sailor man Popeye the Sailor Man. For some reason, I just loved Popeye. And I convinced my mother to buy a can of spinach. Not any old can of spinach, but that can. It didn't have the green giant on it. It didn't have the generic label on it. It was the can that had Popeye on it, man. And so she brought that can and opened it in the kitchen with a can opener rather than squeezing it. What a weakling, right? And I took my hot bowl of spinach downstairs and I looked at it and I said, what green gruel is this? I, I, I mean, I, I would say that now. I don't know if I said it when I was a kid, but what green gruel was, was this? And I, I took one bite and I thought, who, what sailor would actually eat this stuff? And Dennis, that's why I played army men rather than navy. <laughs> FYI. But we all know when, when Popeye took that, that spinach through his wooden pipe, his muscles would get big and he was swole. And I thought, man, if I just took that spinach, I would get swole. And my puny muscles were still just puny. So I decided to have this feat of strength and there was the wall. And so like Popeye did, I took my right arm and I wound it and I threw a right hook at the wall and the wall won. And I lost. And I distinctly remember that feeling of deception, that I had been deceived, that if I would just ingest this spinach like Popeye would, I would have the muscles that he had. I had a misunderstanding of power as a kid. I continued to have a misunderstanding of power as a teenager in my first job. 
it was at Blue Jacket Outdoor Drama, and I worked at the concession stand where we just slung soda and hot dogs and popcorn. And during the summer, I was actually given somewhat of a leadership position. I was able to, to work the register, count the drawer. I was able to run to the store if we were out of things. And in lieu of leadership's absence for the brief moment that they were absent, I was the leader. I was in charge, kind of like that kid in the classroom when the teacher leaves the room and you're in charge. Well, I was in charge. I had my midsummer review with my managers. And my misunderstanding of power became very apparent when I sat before both managers and they voiced their disappointment in me. Because apparently, my misunderstanding of power impacted the people around me. When I should have been doing the things that I was doing before I was put in charge, I was actually not asking but telling those that were there to go do those things. And they voiced their disappointment. I had a very clear misunderstanding of power. And I think for a lot of us, we have a very clear misunderstanding of power. I'm still learning those lessons to this day as a leader. And I think all of us need to learn those lessons of what power truly is. See, when Jesus arrived to humanity in the likeness of a human as a baby, it came under the shadow of Caesar Augustus, the emperor Octavian. And the Roman Empire was an empire and a regime that was iron-fisted and ruled by the sword. They oppressed all those that they had conquered. So when we think of Jesus' birth and coming into this world, we must not believe that Jesus was born free because he was not born free. The little Lord Jesus was born into oppression, into captivity and occupation by the Roman regime. He was born into a Jewish story of the same theme. Going back to the Old Testament, to the book of Exodus, we see that the Hebrew people were not a nation. Yet, they became a people in Egyptian slavery and captivity. That's why God sent Moses and delivered his people. Once they became a people, formed a nation, at one point, their kingdom became divided, and they became very vulnerable. The Assyrian juggernaut came through to the north and demolished the north. The Babylonians took over the Assyrian empire and conquered Palestine from north to south, deporting the Israelites to a land that was not their own. The Babylonians followed by the Persians. The Persians defeated the, the Babylonians, and those Israelites that were in captivity, in exile, they were sent off back to their homeland, but they still weren't free. They were occupied by the Persian power. Then come Alexander the Great, 
and the Greeks, conquering the known world as far close to India as possible. They were occupied and empower, or under the power of the Greeks, followed by the Roman regime. Jesus was born into this story, this theme of captivity, oppression, slavery, occupation, in a land that was their own, but it wasn't their own. And the Christ child, we get this picture of this serene Christ child, but he's not a picture of power, is he? He doesn't look like the ruler of Judah on which the shoulders of the government will sit. He's not the picture of power of this messianic warrior that everyone needs so that they can be free. No. The Christ child comes fragile, vulnerable, as an infant, a powerless infant. And as Matthew said, who was under the care of sinless parents. They had to care for him and nurture him and feed him and comfort him. They parented him. Jesus, as the Christ child, is not a picture of power in any way, shape, or form of the world, the known world, or in the story of the Hebrew people. And when we look at our world in 2021, moving into 2022, power doesn't look like the Christ child either, does it? No, it looks more like the teenager at Blue Jacket imposing his authority on other people. Although Herod, the great, the baby killer, he may have recognized something. That this new king of the Jews, even though he was an infant, could be a potential problem. But Jesus' birth and the way he came in his power, because Jesus, the Son of God, the Almighty, was all-powerful, had absolute power, and incorruptible, mind you. Power reveals the heart. And when Herod thought his power would be usurped by a, a baby and an infant, his heart was revealed even more than the rest of his life. Jesus transforms, upends, turns on its other side what we understand as power. He did not impose his power when he arrived on earth. No. No, he, he illustrated what true power, heroic power is. And his birth truly reveals what power does. Power does not corrupt. Absolute power does not corrupt. Power reveals the heart of the individual who has that power. But born into a group of people who are powerless. Many of us in this room and listening online will probably wonder, what power do I have? 
especially in a time where there is mandate after mandate after mandate. It's been a very oppressive two years. A difficult two years. Let alone the situations that you and I are walking through individually or with our families. I think for us, the feeling of powerlessness is more apt to describe our life. What do you do? What do you do when you feel powerless? What do you do when everyone around you, whether it's on the government side of things or your job, where everyone else holds the power and you feel like you were powerless in the situation. Jesus, much later in his life, as he was in his ministry, he was still teaching, preaching, healing, doing miracles under the same empire. The situation did not change. From the time that he was an infant to the time that he was an adult, Rome was still Rome. The oppression was still there. The occupation was still there. Though Herod the baby killer is now long gone, Palestine was divided amongst his kids. And the Caesar still ruled. And for the Jewish individual whether you were a child, a woman, or a man, the Roman regime was nothing that you wanted in your life. It was actually diametrically opposed to everything you were because Caesar declared himself divine, a god to be worshipped. Rome imposed its rule but also imposed its hedonistic pleasure dome. They were a culture of indulgence. They were a culture of polytheism, idolatry, which truly opposed the first two of the Ten Commandments. Rome was everything that Palestine and those men and women and children that lived in Palestine that followed God that worshipped at the temple and at the synagogue did not want a part of. Yet, today we talk about religious freedom in the United States. There was one thing that Rome allowed, religious freedom. But, there's the caveat to the religious freedom that Rome gave. You must pay your taxes. And you must remain placid, docile. We must not have any issue with you. You must be submissive to our rule and obedient. Once you step out of line, there's the problem. So when we read the teachings of Jesus, 
He's teaching under this shadow of Roman rule. He says this, You've heard that it was said, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. That's power, right? That's imposing your power and your rule. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you, take and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Folks, these are not hypotheticals. This is the reality day in and day out for every Jewish man and woman and child. They have been on one side or the other with these situations. Jesus continues, Give to one who asks you. Do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. What do you do when you're rendered powerless? When you feel like you're not free? When you have no freedom? It's been taken from you. These non-hypothetical situations are primarily at the hands of Rome. Jesus says, if someone strikes you on the cheek. A Roman soldier can and did strike, but they only had a line to go to. What they were trying to impose on you was to provoke you to react, to physically react to their violence, to reduce you to their level, imposing their power on you. If they were traveling on the road and their horse was carrying that burden, that heavy pack, they can commission you. They had rule and law to commission you to, that you would carry that horse's pack and now you are that mule to go one mile and carry the burden of the Roman soldier to give the horse rest. And then you would put the pack right over, once you've completed your obligation, put it right over the horse, and then you would walk that mile back, that walk of shame, that walk of powerlessness. And for the Jewish people who had zero power, and they could not inflict anything on the Romans, what did they do? They were at loss of control, so they inflicted it on each other. They would choose to take you to court and steal from you legally. I want that cloak. I want that tunic. Perpetuating the mindset that it's a scarcity. There's not enough to go around so I'm going to take what you have so I have it. But Jesus, he upends the, the power dynamic. He upends our understanding of power. That Christ child, now the son of man, walking and teaching. He says, no, 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 no. What Rome wants to do is remove any dignity that you have. They want to dehumanize you. 
with all the freedoms that they take away from you, they want to de- dehumanize you, remove your value, remove your worth, remove your dignity as a human being. They want you to become less than you are. I think for us in the room, we've had relationships with friends and family and coworkers and bosses and those in authority where we felt like they have taken that value, they've taken that worth, they've taken that dignity. They've wanted, you've become less because you've reacted at their provocation. We're playing the game at their, with their rules. And Jesus says, no. Change the rules of the game. Turn the tables. So when they strike you on the cheek, turn the table. Keep your dignity. Keep your character. Keep your integrity. Keep what's on the inside of you. Because that's where power is. Turn to them the other cheek. And when they strike you on the other cheek, they will know who is the one that holds the power. When they tell you to carry the pack that one mile and you fulfill that obligation, you see that mile marker on the Roman road. You go one more. Because you cannot do less than you're required to, but you can always do more. When your brother, when your sister believes that there is less in the world and they got to have it and they take you to court, settle matters quickly before you go to court. Give them your cloak. You believe that God is more generous than anyone. And that generosity always defeats greed. Turn the tables. Change the rules of the game. Power doesn't look like the world is telling you. Upend it. Turn it over. The axe is already at the roots of the tree. The first shall become last and the last shall become first. Jesus reveals to us the heroic power, the true power, comes from the inside. It's rooted in your character. It's rooted in your integrity. It's rooted in your heart and your soul. When you react and become less than, you lose your character, you lose your integrity, and you truly become powerless. But if you hold on, if you hold on, if you change the rules of the game, you will always hold on to your character. You will always have your integrity. You will always have power. Because when all the circumstances around you render you powerless, you still have the power to change your attitude. You still have power to change your perspective. You still have power to change the way you react. True power is wielded in humility. That is the weapon of true power. Not passive, 
passivism and not passivity and not false humility, but true power. It's wielded when you wield the weapon of humility and when you hold on to your character, you hold on to your dignity, you hold on to your integrity. Therefore, you and me, you can be free without power. When you are imprisoned, when you are held down, you can still be free. You can have that freedom. Jesus, in his birth, he came under that shadow, that shadow of the Roman regime, the oppression, the captivity. His death, his crucifixion was also under the same type of power struggle. Judas, one of his very own, one of the twelve, maybe disillusioned at the fact that Jesus, the Messiah, didn't wield the power that he thought he would. Turned the wheels of betrayal, the moment of the kiss, and it all started happening. Judas saw Jesus and it didn't register for him. It didn't register what the Messiah, what he thought the Messiah should be and who Jesus really was. Interestingly, when you read the Gospels, you find that after Judas had betrayed him and the wheels of betrayal continued to move on and Jesus was arrested and brutally beaten and mocked and at some point in time he was gripped by remorse he returned the money that was given for the betrayal and Judas we find him rendered powerless because he couldn't change anything the proprietors and perpetuators of of the religious system the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the chief priests, the, the ruling Sanhedrin those who wanted to keep the system going, who were powered by greed and jealousy, who lined their pockets by keeping the system the same, but also keeping the people far from God. They were a part of the power struggle. Rome, Pontius Pilate, Herod, walking that tightrope, that beam between Rome and the people. They abdicated responsibility for Christ's death. They put it on the hands and the heads of the people. But still they showed their force and their dominance in the way they executed Jesus Christ. Through crucifixion. The most humiliating public death possible. And then his disciples. Ten of them scattered. One of them was at the cross. Mary, the mother of Jesus, the one who was at the manger, who birthed him, who nursed him, who cared for him. Mary Magdalene, the one she, that was cast out those demons who followed Jesus, and many other of the women who helped and cared for Jesus and his disciples. They there at the cross, all his followers rendered powerless. They couldn't change it. 
And those sitting at the cross, watching him die a humiliating death, hemorrhaging and asphyxiating right before their very eyes, they were too rendered powerless. Paul, the apostle, wrote of both Jesus' birth and his death in the book of Philippians. He said, your attitude should be that, that as the same of Christ. And then he says this, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of his servant, being made in human likeness, Christmas. Christmas, right there. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Easter. I think for any one of us, even an unbeliever who would so happen to may, maybe choose to read the gospel or choose to come into church on a Sunday morning and listen. I think it's very easy for all of us to assume that this is Jesus' most powerless moment, his weakest moment, his most apathetic moment, his moment on the cross. He couldn't do anything. So it seemed. Jesus naked, held by, by nails, hanging between two criminals. And with the breath that he, he could somewhat get up, said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Not a picture of power by the world's standard. But remember, power does not impose itself on the powerless. True power is, is being free when your freedom has been taken away. True power is keeping yourself intact, your integrity intact, your character intact, your soul intact. Jesus said to his disciples, John chapter 10, verse 18, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and I have the authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my Father. Jesus literally says, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down out of me. No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down out of me, out of my innards, out of my inside, out of my integrity and my character. Because as they brutally mocked him and beat him and put him up and he hangs there naked before all to see and he spit on and he's mocked at that moment, he turns the tables. He changes the rules of the game. He upends it in our understanding of power. doesn't look like the world. This, this is Christ's most powerful moment. Because he understands that out of himself he lay it down, his character is still there. His integrity is still there. His understanding of his purpose and intention is still there. Even to the point where he gives up his spirit. What's your understanding of power? How have you wielded it? Have you had it? And how has it revealed your heart? It's interesting. As uh, 
I was thinking about He-Man and the Masters of the Universe and that cartoon and how Prince Adam would take that, that sword out of his, his back, his, his sheath, and he'd raise it up, and you'd see these lightning bolts in the cartoon. It was a really cool moment. And like this, this kind of weakling guy becomes this muscular dude, right? Again, misunderstanding of power. Power is not the flexing of the muscle, is it? You might be able to lift a lot of cool things, but you, it's your character, right? But in that moment, he said, by the power of Grayskull, I have the power. Now, I remember as a kid in, in church, the pastor didn't let, let his kids watch that show. But there's a lesson here because of, out of Jesus' most powerful moment, his death, And what seemed like powerlessness on No Name Saturday after Good Friday, and we have Resurrection Sunday. Fifty days later, something miraculous happens. The Holy Spirit moves into the neighborhood, into human flesh, into mankind, into you and me. There's a transference of power. By the power of the Holy Spirit, the most powerful thing you can do with the power that you have is empower other people. That is the most powerful thing you can do. And God himself empowers his people and entrusts you with his spirit. And we as the church are to empower those around us. So this morning, as we wrap up the series of hero and looking at Jesus as the hero of humanity, really hope you live out empathy and humility, selflessness and self-sacrifice and that whatever power that you have been entrusted with by whomever it is that you wield that power with true humility and that even in the most powerless situation you are not rendered powerless. You can be the most free when you feel the most powerless by your attitude and holding on to your integrity and your character of who you are. Would you please stand? Just bow your heads for one moment. Jesus, I... I hope the word of God spoke today. I know it did. Lord, it's not in prominence, it's not position, it's not dominance. Lord, it's humility. It's knowing that we can be free even when we feel powerless. And in that we are more powerful than ever.
And if there's anyone in this room that are listening online, they, they are in situations that they feel powerless. God, will you reveal to them where their stu- true, true strength is? That it's not outside of them. It's it's not in the can of spinach. It's not in the muscles. It's not in the dominance. But it truly is in the heart. May they stand firm in who they are, who who they've been created to be. Stand firm in the image of God. Stand firm in the truth of the cross and the power of the resurrection and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in Pentecost. Lord, may we choose differently than the world. May we be a people of empathy, humility, self-sacrifice, and selflessness, an inner strength that no one gives but you. Will you continue to teach us, shape us, Jesus? Mold us into your likeness and your love and your goodness. May our our lives be fruitful, not only of the character of God, but also may people come to Christ because of us. And today, I just ask if you're in this room and you're in prayer, I just challenge you to, if you haven't crossed that line of faith, if you haven't stepped across that, if you, you've not engaged in a relationship with Jesus Christ the, and the living God, today's that day. This is that time. This is that moment. I just encourage you to step over that line of faith. If you feel powerless, to change your situation. It's, it's His Holy Spirit in you that, that can do those things on the inside of you. So you have new perspective and new attitude and new outlook. Just to ask that you just cross that line of faith. And just want to pray with you. It's a simple prayer. It's nothing complicated. It's not the full conversation. It's just the beginning. Just sincerely ask Jesus, Jesus, I give you my life. I give it to you. I give you my life. I give you my heart, my mind, my home, my family, my job, my kids, my car, all of it. I just give you my life. I just give you my heart. Forgive me of my sin, Lord. Forgive me of trying to do things in my own power. I just give you my life. And I ask that you give me your life. The life that you laid down that no one took from you. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray this morning. We love you. Amen. If you've prayed that prayer, that's the first time you've prayed that prayer, please, Matthew and I are here. We want to know. We want to talk with you. Um, And if you're online and you're listening and you're out there on your own, I just ask that you contact us, wapaknaz at gmail.com. 
let us know. Let us know where you are. Um, we're here to partner with you. We're here to, to empower you. We're here to love you. Folks, may you love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. Will you please love your neighbor as yourself? Have a wonderful day. We'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to the Wapak Nas podcast. We hope you were moved deeply to step into God and the hope and future he has for you and that you were moved to be salt, light, and yeast in your community and to love people to Jesus.